uh, we've been on a series that we've called uh, Experiencing Easter, that I've called Experiencing Easter. And in this series, we're looking at different moments, and this is of Jesus' life, where he's encountering different things and trying to look at it through his eyes. I'm hoping that then as the youth come forward and present this on Easter Sunday, some of these things jar in you and bring a fresh perspective as we're experiencing Easter together in this place. Uh, in doing that, we, we have had this verse that we've looked at kind of as the beginning or these verses. It's Philippians chapter 3. It says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And we could stop there and we would all be very, very happy. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Who would say amen to that? I think we all would, right? I mean, that's great. Paul continues in participation in his sufferings. Wait a minute. Becoming like him in his death and so so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Uh, This verse 10, some translations say the fellowship of his sufferings. Like, do we really reiterate that part of the verse? I think at times we read past that part of the verse. I want to celebrate. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Now, if I said, who wants to participate in his sufferings? I'm guessing the response isn't going to be as enthusiastic when it comes to the participation in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to spend time on this verse because there's something very profound that comes out of this context. There's something very powerful because through participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, somehow we attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's the goal that we all want. So what is it? So this morning I want to spend time together, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at the trials of Jesus Christ, what he endured in this season. And I know last week I jumped ahead to Simon. This week we're going to rewind just a little bit and look at what Jesus endured. These are some moments that I've picked out as pastor. These are some moments that the youth will reiterate on Easter Sunday. But the reality is this is what Jesus Endured. I want to look at what he endured, and then I want to look at how he endured it. Because I think there's something in watching how Jesus endures these trials. We're going to start, we'll be in Matthew chapter 26. The first thing I want to talk about, the first trial I want to mention is the betrayal of Judas. How many disciples did Jesus pick? Twelve. I'm glad I got to go to the kids' church. How many disciples did Jesus pick? Pastor's going to have to do a better job. Um, (laughs) So there's 12 disciples. Now, I mean, seriously, like you're feeling pretty good. you got 12 people. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is really good at what he does. And what's the reality? That one of them decides to do what? To sell him out for some silver. So that's what we see, Matthew 26, one of the 12. The one called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted for him 30 pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. Then, from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Later on in this same chapter, they're at the Last Supper. And Jesus, God has revealed this to him. I guess God's preparing him for what's to come, but it's still got to be a trial. We can know what's coming, but sometimes it's still challenging when we go through it. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. 
The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. So Jesus has just called Judas out. After the meal, they go to the garden. Jesus prays that burden that we talked about a few weeks ago along this time frame. And he's sitting there speaking. When, while he was sitting, still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. Jesus trial as we're talking about what he endures this morning it's going to be we're talking about the sufferings of christ the very first thing that we're looking at today is one of his 12 one of those that were closest to him one of the ones who had listened to him who have learned from him taking and selling him out for a price i don't care what the price was he sold him out for a price What does that feel like when someone in our inner circle is willing to sell us out? There's betrayal. There's hurt that comes through that moment. So immediately after that moment, what happens to Jesus? He's put on trial. You can see it in Mark 14. I'm going to read a lot. Then they took Jesus to the high priests and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law. They came together and Peter thought Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There sat the guards and warmed, there sat, there he sat, excuse me, with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they didn't find any. Verse 56, Jesus is enduring this religious trial. He's put on trial by the religious people. And what does he have to listen to? Many people, it said, testified falsely against him. But their statements didn't agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him. We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with human hands. And in three days, I'll build another with, with, with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. The high priest then stood up before them and asked, Jesus, are you not going to answer? Look at Jesus in this moment. He's enduring what? The religious leaders, who we know he's got a beef with anyway. We know that they've had tension with them all this time. They're looking for an accusation against Jesus. And he's listening to men and women, probably just men, lie about who he was. Are you not going to answer? Verse 61 says, but Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. And again, the high priest Asked him, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. 
They struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. He, he has been betrayed by Judas. Now he has been put on trial. Listen to lies about him. The lies were unfounded, but because Jesus said he was the Messiah, he was sentenced to death. What happens next? I mean, you see all the priests, all the Sanhedrin, they get up and they begin to attack Jesus. They blindfold him and they spit at him. What could be more humiliating than a bunch of people spitting on you in a public place? They begin to strike him with their fists. They beat him. The trials of Jesus. He's coming out from that moment. I mean, this is, you know, when it rains, it pours. I know this is the season we're in in Jesus' life. So he comes out. Judas has betrayed him. They've lied about him. They've humiliated him. And he witnesses something. Now, Peter, it said, was out at the fire. Remember what happened at the campfire? They started to ask him if he was one of the ones that knew Jesus. I love this translation from Luke. His account of this, about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Look at verse 61. So Jesus has just endured betrayal. He's endured accusations. He's been humiliated. And now he's witnessing Peter. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Think about this. That's like 10 out of 12, 5 out of 6 on the disciples screwing up right now. It's like an 83%. Jesus was an 83% shepherd. I mean, he had, he had one who betrayed him, now another that's denying him. Can you imagine the moment that he's in? I mean, he warned Peter this was coming, and maybe just maybe Pete would have listened. And Jesus is coming from the trial, coming from being accused, coming from being spit on, being blindfolded and humiliating, and he sees his friend across the way, and he makes eye contact with his friend as his friend is saying he didn't know Jesus. The trials of Jesus. From the Sanhedrin, they took Jesus to Pilate. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. They bound Jesus. They led him away. They handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. False accusations again. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? Verse 5. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now it was custom at the festival to release a prisoner uh, whom the people had requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came and they asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed him over to him. But the chief priest had stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. So what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them, crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting 
to satisfy the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Jesus' trials, he's endured betrayal. He's endured the religious accusations. Now he's in a political or a governmental setting, and he's enduring uh, more accusation, more trials. He has to listen to the same stuff over and over again. When Pilate has nothing to do, when Pilate says, well, I'll just release him, he hears people shouting to release Barabbas rather than him. He hears the crowd shouting, crucify him. In the last trial, before the cross, (laughs) we're not even going to the cross yet. The soldiers, they led Jesus away to the palace, that is the praetorium. And they called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. They began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him, on the head with a staff, and they spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. They were mocking him. And when they mocked him, they took off the purple rose and put his, put his clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. And I look at that story, and I see all that Jesus Endured. I see what he was taking upon himself. And I look at the position of Jesus in this all. What is compelling to me this year isn't necessarily the trials because I think we've all heard the trials. It's Jesus' response in the midst of the trials. So he knows Judas is going to betray him. He just called him out at the Last Supper. He knows he's taken 30 pieces of silver to hand him over. And how does Jesus greet Judas? Calls him friend. If you knew someone was coming to betray you and they went to kiss you, I don't know about you, but they're probably not kissing my face. But he endured it for the sake of the cross. Jesus is arrested and he stands trial before the religious leaders, those ones who have plotted to get him, those ones who have come against him. He hears people. They they tell lies about him. I'm guessing he had interacted with them. I'm guessing, this is Pastor Steve's version, these are people that he's come across in ministry. These are people who potentially he's impacted their lives, but their story has changed as they're standing before the chief priest. He listens to every lie. And what does he say? Not a word. The only thing he says is when he's asked, are you the Messiah? He says, I am, and you'll see the Son of Man coming on clouds when, when I return. I mean, that's all he says in the midst of his trial. That's all he says in the midst of every accusation that's come his way. And then they did what? The whitewashed tombs. They blindfold him. I tell you what, I could endure the insults. And they start saying, spitting on him and saying, prophesy who spit on you. Jesus is the word made flesh who made his dwelling among us. Could he not have just started calling him out by name? 
Could he not ha- have said, hey, hey, this was this was a uh, uh, priest so and so and that was priest so and so and priest so and so. You're getting ready to do it. But the word made flesh. Jesus Christ was willing to endure the trial for the purpose uh, of God's cross. He comes out from that moment and he sees Peter across the way. He watches him shake his head. He doesn't cry out, Pete, don't do it. I told you you were Satan. Remember that moment? I'll never do it. Get behind me, Satan. For the sake of the cross. He endured the trials. What I find compelling is in the midst of the trials, the words of Jesus are either affirming or they're nothing. I am. Friend, do what you've come to do. Or he was silent to every accusation. He stands before Pilate. He hears the crowd begin to shout out, I'm Jesus, I'm screaming, hey, what about those palms you were just waving not too long ago? We were reading in men's Bible study about Peter and, 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 and John as they stood before trial. And they stood before trial and scripture says in Acts that, that they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And guess what happened? They were empowered by the Holy Spirit and they got off. <laughs> Why when Jesus is standing before Pilate, he's empowered by the Spirit of God. Again, he's the Word made flesh. He could have made the greatest argument. I guarantee he could have got off, but he remained silent. Why? Because he had to endure the trial for the effectiveness of the cross. I think about the soldiers as they were, again, humiliating Jesus. Did you hear that? They brought him to the palace in the praetorium and they called what? All the soldiers. Hey, come watch this deal. We're going to make a skeptical out of this guy. And they begin to spit at him and beat him. And they put a, put, put a crown of thorns on his head and they put a robe upon his back. And it says that some begin to kneel to mock him. And I tell you what, if I'm Jesus in that moment, and I'm not, I'm going to start prophesying about that guy like the woman at the well. I'm going to tell everyone in that room every problem that guy's had because I can do it. You want to embarrass me? I'm going to tell him every sin you've committed, every fault you've had, everything you've done. Yet Jesus remained silent. His father had told him of the cup he was going to bear. And he was willing to bear that cup in silence and in affirmation. What can we learn from Jesus in the midst of the trials? I love this verse. This is a verse that at times we read, and I don't know that we associate with this. Hebrews chapter 12. Remember this, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. I want to read something that I don't have in my notes, but if you want to go... To Hebrews chapter 11, because they're in chapter, there aren't chapter things in the Bible, just remember that. So what's he talking about? That, chapter's, that chapter in chapter 11 in my Bible is called Faith in Action. 
The people he begins to address. Oh, somewhere in here if I can find it. I'm going to start in about verse 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and, and routed in foreign armies. We think of those as, as people of faith. Women who received back their dead, they were raised again. But listen to what it says. There were others who were tortured. Refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us. But only together with us would they be made perfect. And then he says, therefore. He just talked about people who were known for their faith, who endured what? They were murdered. They were sold in half. They lived in case. They had sheepskin and goatskins upon them. Therefore. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus who was the what? The pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. How did that happen? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. My faith was perfected through the trials of Jesus Christ. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not what? So you won't grow weary and lose heart. Yes, I want to know Jesus and I want to know the power of his resurrection, but I also need to have fellowship. I also need to have participation in his suffering so that somehow, some way, I can experience the, the promise of the resurrection from the dead. That's what we're all about. That is what was completely accomplished through the suffering of Jesus Christ. So to me, in this world, we'll have troubles. Take heart, I've overcome this world. So to me, when wicked men insult and persecute me, when they try to humiliate me, when I'm going through the trial, I have to fix my eyes on who? Jesus Christ. Why? Because he endured every trial so that I could have the hope of the resurrection. Without the trials, I can't get to the hope. Without the cross, there isn't forgiveness. 
And so me, as I participate in his suffering, me, as I have fellowship with his sufferings, I identify that, yes, my faith will be perfected. My joy will be made complete. And it's only found in Jesus Christ. Pilgrim's Progress, it's an allegory that was written, I think, in the 1600s about just this faith walk. And it ends, the the last chapter of it, my brother-in-law um, I have to call him doctor now, which is never going to happen. He finished his dissertation, and he told me to read Pilgrim's Progress, so whatever. So I read the end, because that's what I did in school, too. No, I'm just kidding. He pointed me to that place of it. And it ends, and you've got two individuals. One's called Christian, and one's called Hopeful. And they're on their pilgrimage to the celestial city. They're going to the celestial city, and they literally see the celestial city. And as they see the city, this is the end of the journey. This is what they've endured. They've met others. They've met atheists. They've met others along the way. You know, but they've made it. They're, they're getting ready to, to ascertain or to receive the promise. And suddenly, they're troubled. Do you know why? Because before the celestial city is the river of death. And Christian and Hopeful are wondering, wait a minute. We we didn't think this was coming. There was no bridge over the river of death. There was no way around the river of death. So they had to begin to go across it. It says that as Christian and Hopeful in this allegory, as they begin to step into the river, the water is deeper than they realize. It begins to flow over their heads and they think they're not going to make it. We've come all this way and we're not going to get to the city. The waves are overcoming them. They're overwhelmed by, by, by what their experiences are. The river of death, now I saw further, or now I further saw that between them was the gate of river, but there was no bridge to pass over it, and the river was very deep. At the side of this river, the pilgrims were bewildered, but the, man's, the men said to them, you must not go, or you must go through the river, you can't enter the gate. These troubles and distresses you're going through in these waters are no indication that God has forsaken you. This is what the writer says. Rather, they are only sent to test you as to whether you will call to mind what you have hitherto received of his goodness and live upon him in your present distresses. He tells me when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. Then they both took courage. After that, the enemy was still as a stone and could no longer hinder them. Christian therefore felt firm ground to stand upon, and found that the rest of the river was but shallow. They both crossed over to the river. What happened? They lifted up their eyes. They looked to the one that would not forsake them. They looked for for the one who would not leave them in the midst of their trials. And suddenly when they found that firm foundation of who they were in him and what he was doing for them, they stood on the firm foundation and walked into the promises of God. You guys can come forward.
They fix their eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and the perfecter of their faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the, of the throne of God. He who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We talked. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of stuff. That happens. There's a lot of trials that we face. There's a lot of situations that we're going through that we're directly connected to, or we know others that are walking through that. This is why. This is the what. We have someone to fix our eyes upon. Jesus Christ endured it all. He endured betrayals. He endured trials. He endured lies. He endured humiliation. He endured beatings and floggings and, and people spitting on him. He endured the cross and the nails. Why? So that we could have someone to fix our eyes to in these moments. It's so easy to look at everything else. Now listen to this. If all you're looking at is the trial, what joy can you find? I'm going to say that again because that's good. Thank you, Tanner. If all you're looking at at the trial, what joy can you find? If you just look at the issues, what love will you see? If you just look at the problems, what life will you experience? Jesus Christ came and endured it all so that we would have hope everlasting. We would have joy unspeakable that only comes through Him. So I've got to fix my eyes on Him. I've got to see what He endured so I can stand on firm ground. Man, maybe, just maybe, when we look at the trials and fix our eyes on Him, Maybe, just maybe, when we see what Jesus endured, that we partner with him, that we participate with him in his sufferings, to know that it is finished. The promise of life is true. The promise that his kingdom has come in my life is real. That's kingdom that is today and that's kingdom that is tomorrow. That's the probability that Greg can can be healed today and the promise that Greg will be restored tomorrow. It's a promise that's ours. And we stand firm on the stone because we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. I want to pray. Father, this morning I lift up this room. God, every moment of this day has been ordered of you. Every prayer that's been prayed. Every concern that's been voiced. And even the word that you spoke during worship, that you are the God. You are Him who is. God, I pray that this morning, as we partner in the sufferings of Jesus, or participate, or fellowship in his sufferings, that our eyes are drawn to the one who did it all.
that we could see the one who endured it all so that we might have life and have it to the full. God, in this room, I'm not sure how many how many Christians and hopeful may feel like they're in a place where, God, the storms, the waves, the water, it's so high. They may be wondering where you're at or why this moment now. The promise was right there. And, God, all you're calling them to do this day is lift up their eyes, fix their eyes on Jesus Christ, who was the author, the perfecter, the pioneer of their faith. So that this day, God, they can stand on the firm foundation, which is Jesus Christ, on the firm foundation, which is the cross through which came the redemption of man, which is the cross, which which is where sin was forgiven, which is the cross, which gives me the ability to be called a child of God. No matter what, there's nothing. There is no thing in all creation that can separate me from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. There's nothing in all creation that can separate me from your love. God, help me to find that foundation today. Help me. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask them to lead us in this course. And as they lead us in this course, I encourage you to reflect upon what God has been speaking. And I believe that God is going to speak to some to stand on that firm foundation. Sometimes, God, it's a physical response from us that's acknowledging what he's speaking to us. And there may be some in this room that he speaks to you today in the midst of your trials, today in the midst of your storms. He just wants you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but maybe stand where you're at, acknowledging that, yes, my feet are on the rock, acknowledging that, yes, in the midst of the storm, I need somewhere to be. I can promise you there's refreshing in the presence of Jesus Christ. I can promise you there's joy in seeing his face. I can promise you there's hope in acknowledging what He has done for you. And some of us, we just need to stand on that rock for a little while today. So that we have hope and joy. And we see Satan be stilled. So we can have the celestial city, the promise of God in our lives. I'll also open the altars at this time if if you want pastor to pray with you or or someone else. This is an opportunity for us to pray about the the things in your life. We're going to continue to let people linger in here if you'd like. I'm going to say the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. May turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you fix your eyes on him so you don't have to focus on stuff. Amen? Be blessed.